So our passage, our primary passage tonight is Exodus chapter 21, verses 1 through 6. Exodus chapter 21, verses 1 through 6. And I'll make mention to our secondary passage, which is Deuteronomy 15, verses 12 through 18. But go ahead and turn to Exodus chapter 21 as I give some background information. So the Israelites had been in bondage in Egypt for 400 years. God miraculously delivered them from slavery. God's power was on full display with the 10 plagues. And if that wasn't enough, as they were leaving Egypt, God parted the Red Sea so that the Israelites could escape on dry land. And then God collapsed the walls of the sea on the Egyptian army. And so in the wilderness, uh, they made their way to Mount Sinai and Moses received from the Lord the 10 commandments as well as other instructions such as what's recorded in our section of scripture tonight. And so these judgments all together make up the book of the covenant. These were written down by Moses and read to the people of Israel. And so in Deuteronomy, our secondary passage where that is found, Moses reminds a new generation of Israel of the Lord's commands before they enter the promised land. And so if you would go ahead and stand with me as we read God's word together. Exodus chapter 21 verses 1 through 6. Now these are the judgments which you shall set before them. If you buy a Hebrew servant, he shall serve six years, and in the seventh he shall go out free and pay nothing. If he comes in by himself, he shall go out by himself. If he comes in married, then his wife shall go out with him. If his master has given him a wife and she has borne him sons or daughters, the wife and her children shall be her masters, and he shall go out by himself. But if the servant plainly says, I love my master, my wife, and my children, I will not go out free. Then his master shall bring him to the judges. He shall also bring him to the door or to the doorpost, and his master shall pierce his ear with an awl, and he shall serve him forever. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it is profitable. Uh, and so Lord, would you just Use this message tonight to speak to, heart, to our hearts. May it be a blessing to us. Bless your church tonight. In Jesus' name we pray. Everyone says, amen. You may be seated. So the book of the covenant found in Exodus chapters 22 through 24 begins with servanthood. After the Ten Commandments, the previous chapter, why talk about slavery? Well, not only does the book of the covenant begin with slavery, but it's also how the Ten Commandments begin. Let me explain. Before God gave his people the law, he reminded them how he brought them out of Egypt. And so if you turn a page or look at Exodus chapter 20, verse 2, it says, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage, or out of the house of slavery. How appropriate then for God to begin the book of the covenant with the same topic. The Israelites were former slaves, 
and now they were free. It would be unthinkable for them to treat one another the way Pharaoh had once treated them. Thus, God began the book of the covenant by regulating the relationship between masters and servants. The Hebrew nation was quite familiar with this idea of servanthood, as they had been subservient slaves in Egypt. Servitude is not a common understanding for us in our 21st century America, in our Western culture. Now, servanthood is something that is looked at in a positive light in Christian circles. Paul and others in the New Testament refer to them as, as doulos, as slaves or servants, but it is a foreign or even a negative concept to the average American citizen. For instance, I was teaching at Centralia Middle School and one of my students was going out of their way to help me. They were collecting Chromebooks and putting them away. And I mean, this is a rare occurrence, a middle schooler thinking about someone other than themselves. And so I was grateful. So I said to them, thank you so much. You are such a servant. I appreciate you. To my surprise, my compliment was not received very well. What I saw on this student's face was the look of disgust mixed with confusion. To him, being called a servant was essentially an insult. I tried to explain that it was truly a compliment and not an insult, but he was not convinced. The Hebrew children were under the dominating rule of the Egyptians for generations. They might have had a gut-wrenching reaction as well in their newfound freedom. Deuteronomy 15.15 gives us the why. Why God established these parameters, these regulations. Deuteronomy 15.15 says, you shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt and the Lord your God redeemed you. Therefore, I command you this thing today. So in light of their past affliction, they were to follow these commands from the Lord. So looking at verse two and three of Exodus chapter 21, it says, if you buy a Hebrew servant, he shall serve six years. And in the seventh, he shall go out free and pay nothing. If he comes in by himself, he shall go out by himself. If he comes in married, then his wife shall go out with him. So why would someone buy a Hebrew servant? If you can purchase something, that usually means that it is for sale. Leviticus 25 verses 39 through 40 tells us, And if one of your brethren who dwells by you becomes poor and sells himself to you, you shall not compel him to serve as a slave. As a hired servant and a sojourner, he shall be with you and shall serve you until the year of Jubilee. Among the Israelites, a person could sell himself and his wife into slavery due to poverty or debt, to pay their debt. Because their service had a limit of six years, it was more like an, an indentured service. This means this was voluntary service. Conversely, while the Israelites were slaves in Egypt, it was involuntary. They were forced to serve Pharaoh with no term limits. There was no light at the end of the tunnel. 
of eventual release. They were to be, they were to be an indentured servant, to serve for a limited time to pay off their debt. And when their time was complete, there was no hidden exit fees. They were to go free. Not only that, but masters were not to send out their indentured servants empty-handed. Deuteronomy 15 verses 13 and 14 states, And when you send away free from you, you shall not let him go away empty-handed. You shall supply him liberally from your flock, from your threshing floor, from your wine press. From what the Lord your God has blessed you with, you shall give to him. I love the picture of generosity here. You know that every good gift comes from above. It comes from God. It is by grace that we have been given the capabilities to earn a living, to earn money, to accumulate wealth. We are just stewards of what God has given us. And as a steward, are we found faithful? This should produce in us gratefulness and thankfulness, wanting to make the most of the time we have been given here on earth, using our resources in service to the Lord. Paul, he, he gave instructions to his disciple, to Timothy, in regards to the rich. And really, by the world's standards, we in the U.S. are so blessed that poor is still really pretty good. And so I think that this verse applies to each one of us to some extent. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 17 through 19 says, Command those who are rich in this present age not to be haughty, nor to trust in uncertain riches, but in the living God who gives us richly all things to enjoy. Let them do good, that they be rich in good works, ready to give, willing to share, storing up for themselves a good foundation for the time to come, that they may lay hold on eternal life. May we have our priorities fixed on that which will never fade, on that which is eternal. May we be responsibly generous and rich in good, in good works, trusting in God, not wealth. And kind of another observation I have is the way that poverty was handled under the old old covenant. It includes personal responsibility, working hard, no handouts. There are some principles in here that I wish our politicians would study and implement in legislation. But this process of indentured service was constructive. It built people up. It was not abusive, where it did not take advantage of others, as we see occurring with our common understanding of slavery. There was one thing a servant could not take with him, and this special condition is revealed in Exodus 21, verse 4. It says, If his master has given him a wife and she has borne him sons or daughters, the wife and her children shall be her masters and he, the servant, shall go out by himself. So it appears that the wife and the children had to stay with the master until they had fulfilled their obligations or could be, excuse me, or could be redeemed. 
this seems kind of harsh in our culture today, but this did not automatically mean separation. There was a way for a servant to continue to be with his wife and children. And it's in verses five and six, we read that the indentured servant could voluntarily become a bondservant where they serve their master for life. Verse five, but if the servant plainly says, I love my master, my wife, and my children, I will not go free. Then his master shall bring him to the judges. He shall also bring him to the door or to the doorpost. And his master shall pierce his ear with an awl, and he shall serve him forever. A bond servant is a servant who is all in. Let that sink in for a little bit. All in for life. Now, this was not a frivolous, a spur-of-the-moment decision. No, it was calculated, well thought out, as it was brought before judges. There was also an outward, visible sign of this commitment as his ear was pierced with an awl and perhaps a a ring or an uh, identification tag was placed in the hole. Ultimately, this was to symbolize willing service. There are three marks of a bond servant that I want to highlight with you tonight. The marks of a servant who is all in. The first mark of a bond servant is sacrifice. Sacrifice. What did the servant sacrifice in order to be their master's bond servant? They sacrificed their freedom. As it says in verse five, I will not go free. And in verse six, he shall serve him forever. I think we are really good with our contingency plans, the just in case scenarios, but his commitment to his master was for life. There was no backing out. There was no opting out. There was a sacrificial commitment. The second mark of a bond servant is submission, submission. The servant had to submit to his master and his responsibilities. And also even just looking at the act of the master piercing the ear with an awl is an act of submission. He had to humble himself and yield his will to the will of another. And there's also a relationship of trust between the master and servant which I think is really demonstrated here so beautifully. He was really entrusting his life into his hands. The third mark of a bondservant, the third mark is joy, joy. This is not something that the servant did begrudgingly. He does not say, oh, I guess I have to. No, he embraced the opportunity with joy. Deuteronomy 15, 16 says that the servant prospers with his master. This is a mutually beneficial relationship. It is a joy, not a burden. Next, we see the motivation of a bondservant who is all in. We see the motivation. That motivation is love. Exodus 21.5 says, but if the servant plainly says, I love my master, I love my wife, I love my children, I will not go out free. Deuteronomy echoes that sentiment and says, and if it 
happens that he says to you, I will not go away from you because he loves you and your house since he prospers with you. The servant loves his wife, the servant loves his wife and children and also his master. This is the motivating factor for why the servant is joyfully and sacrificially submitting themselves to their master to become a bondservant. The debt had already been paid. The six years were already up. The remainder of his service would not be out of obligation, but out of love. The motivation is love. The model of a bondservant who is all in. The model is Jesus Christ. Jesus was all in, just like the bondservant's ear was pierced with an awe. Jesus Christ was pierced for our transgression. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And by his wounds, we are healed. Jesus Christ is the suffering servant. Just like the bond servant who bore a mark on his ear, symbolizing his service, Jesus Christ bears the marks, the scars, from the moment of crucifixion for the rest of eternity, pointing to his act of service, his act of love. Mark 10, 45, for even the son of man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. We see that Jesus, as a bondservant, he modeled sacrifice. Hebrews 9.26 states that Jesus Christ has appeared to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. Not only did Jesus serve us as a great high priest, but he served us by being the sacrifice, the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. For God the Father sent God the Son, Jesus Christ, to pay the penalty for sin with his very life. Our redemption was costly for it required it required the brutal crucifixion of Jesus, the Son of God. Atonement for our sin was secured by Jesus' death and resurrection that we might receive the gift of salvation through repenting of sin and trusting in Christ and his sacrifice. Jesus, as a bondservant, modeled submission. Philippians 2, verses 5 through 11 let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death of the cross. Therefore, God also has highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, of those in heaven and of those on earth and of those under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. In taking the form of a bondservant, Jesus modeled humility. He modeled submission by submitting to the will of the Father and Jesus is Lord of all. How will we respond to his lordship? We see that every knee will bow. Are you going to bow under compulsion? Or are you going to now bow under willing submission? 
we see Jesus as a bondservant. He modeled joy. Hebrews 12, verse 2. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand at the throne of God. We see Jesus was motivated by love. Just as the bondservant was motivated by love for his master and family, God was motivated by love. His love for the Father, the church, the world. Romans 5a, but God demonstrates his love towards us that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. John 3:16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. And as 1 John 4 says, God in his very nature is love. Jesus was not obligated to save us, not obligated to die on the cross. He was by no means indebted to us. He owed us nothing. Jesus was motivated by love. His mercy and grace has been extended to you and me as sinners. And it's, it's no surprise that many of our worship songs and hymns highlight the love of God, uh, such as this one, how deep the Father's love for us, how vast and beyond measure that he would give his only son to make a wretch his treasure. May we come before the Lord with praise and thanksgiving for all that he has done and the love that he has shown us. He is worthy of all adoration and praise. Jesus Christ was a bondservant. Jesus Christ was all in. And in, in light of Christ's service, we are then called to serve. So let's look at the mission, the mission of bondservants who are all in the mission. You see, believers are not commanded to merely learn about Christ, but we are commanded to follow Christ. As Matthew 16, 24 says, then Jesus said to his disciples, if anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross, follow me. Doesn't this verse just ooze bondservant? For a bondservant denies himself, a bondservant takes up his cross, a bondservant follows Jesus. Believers are called by God to be all in to commit our lives to his glory for his service. Not just part of our lives, rather commit all of ourselves to him, to his lordship. In light of Christ's sacrifice, believers are called to live sacrificially. Romans 12.1 says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service or your spiritual service of worship. Our worship as bond servants is an ongoing process. Every single day is an opportunity to worship God by the way we live. So whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all for the glory of God. As bond servants, we are not to elevate our own name. We are to lift high the name of Jesus, which is above every name. Because as stated before, that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that Jesus 
Christ is Lord. We need to know Jesus not only as our Savior, but also as our Lord, as our Master. No sacrifice is too big in light of what Christ has already sacrificed for us. What things do you, do we need to sacrifice on the altar? May we withhold nothing for ourselves from our master. May we lay down our very lives for God. In light of Christ's submission, believers are called to submit. James chapter four, verse six and seven, but he gives more grace. Therefore, he says, God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Therefore, submit to God. We are under new management, new ownership. We are not our own. We have been bought with a price. We need to submit to the commands of scripture. We need to submit one to another out of reverence for Christ. Ephesians 5, 21 I waited uh, on tables uh, during the summer when I was in Murrieta, California at Bible College. So serving and waiting on tables helped frame a picture of what it looks like to consider the interests of others above myself. As a waiter, you need to be ready at a moment's notice to serve. You are looking at your guest tables their water pitchers, their expressions, trying to anticipate a need before they even have time to ask. And Jesus demonstrated this so well when he washed his disciples' feet. So in light of submission, we, we needed to trust God. God is a good master. He will provide peace and hope in the midst of hardship. Instead of relying on ourselves and our own abilities, let us lean into his sufficient grace, able to sustain us through the toughest of times. In light of Christ's joy, believers are called to be joyful. Philippians 4.4, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. Psalm 1611, you will show me the path of life. In your presence is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Believers should really be the most joyful people on planet earth, right? We should radiate with joy because in Christ is the fullness of joy. In him, our joy is made complete. We have this security and protection that comes from our master. Psalm 42:11 says, "Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God." We have a hope in Christ that can never fade, that can never die. It is everlasting because our Lord lives. We need to preach the gospel to ourselves, reminding the salvation that was secured for us by Jesus, which we received by faith. And let me just say for myself, I am so forgetful. I need to be reminded of the realities of the gospel continually. If you rehearse, if you preach the gospel to yourself, I guarantee you it will impact how you live. And... Continuing to consider joy, 
James chapter one, verses two through three. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. Only in Christ do our trials have purpose. And I don't know how the world does it without Christ. Now that I've tasted and seen, it's difficult to imagine life without Christ. Through those trials, we have a hope that's, that never fades. We see that Christ calls us to be motivated by love. Ephesians 5, 2, and walk in love as Christ also has loved us and given himself for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling aroma. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 14 through 15, for the love of Christ compels us because we judge thus that if one died for all, then all died, and he died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and rose again. First John 4, 19, we love him because he first loved us. Our motivation should be love, just as it was for Christ. And, and Jesus' rebuke of the church of Ephesus in the book of Revelation was that they had lost their first love. May we guard ourselves from that same fate. May our love for God never grow cold. May we continue to stir one another to do good works and to a faithful love for the Lord. May we read his word, a love letter that we should all cherish. We know that our love for God really overflows into our love for others, right? The first and second greatest commandments. But this is really a glimpse of the all-in life, a life fully devoted to God and his ways. This is not a thrill-of-the-moment decision. It is calculated. It is well thought out. And we must count the cost, understanding that anyone who desires to live a godly life will be persecuted. We must understand that Jesus commands us to take up our cross, to die daily to self and follow him and I thank God that he gives us grace in order to obey, in order to live for him. Every believer has the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, empowering them to live as a bondservant who is all in for Christ, for life. The biggest hindrance to the all in life is the sin of idolatry. We, in our selfishness, think that we can juggle between God and sin. As bondservants of Christ, we must reject all other masters. We know that no one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will be loyal to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. Matthew 6, 24. There's only two choices, right? Either you're a slave to God or you're a slave to sin. And we must forego the appearance of freedom found in the world. We must forego it in order to obtain true freedom in service to Christ. This requires repentance, turning away from sin and turning to our Lord and Master, yielding to Him above all else. Although we may not have our ears pierced like a bond servant, 
as bondservants of Christ, our lives should clearly point to the master whom we serve. Jesus should be evident to the people around us in word and deed that they would glorify our Father who is in heaven. And really, this is, this is my prayer, that, that I would be all in, that I would pursue Christ above all, that he would be my one desire, that my service would be done unto the Lord and not man, that I would not seek to please man, but please God through faith, that I would be a faithful bond servant of Christ. So my challenge for you this evening is to evaluate yourself. Are you all in? In light of what Christ has done, are you all in? So let's go ahead and stand together and, and we'll close this time in prayer. Father God, we thank you for your word. Lord, we want you to be our one desire. No one else will do. Lord, we want you to be number one in our lives. We want you to be Lord, master over us. And we thank you that you are a good master that we can trust you, that you have just bestowed such great love on us, demonstrated in Jesus Christ, being a bondservant, dying on the cross in our place, substitutionary. And so God, we thank you. We praise you. I pray that we would live lives that are all in, fully committed, fully devoted to you and your ways. There is no other place I want to be but in your will, in your ways, God. So help us to live this out. Thank you for giving us your Holy Spirit so that we can be obedient. You've given us grace to obey. Would you bless your body, bless the church, and bless uh, the rest of our evening? In Jesus' name we pray. Everyone says... Amen.